Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the lineup with Dave Prodan. I'm Dave Prodan, and this is our second episode. Thanks to everyone who listened to last week's episode with Peter Townen. The response was really more than we expected, and, and that's really cool. It means that we get to keep doing these things. And if you haven't listened to it yet, please do. You're not going to regret it. We fittingly, although it did take some internal convincing, started this series last week with a logical starting point in Peter Townen, the world's first world surfing champion, which made a lot of sense, but it also created something of a predicament when it comes to this week's follow-up act. Fortunately for us, we were able to land on someone whom I hold in such high regard and have had the privilege of knowing for a lot of years uh, through work. And on top of that, enjoyed a really interesting conversation where I learned a lot about them as well. Related, the surfing world is undoubtedly a community obsessed with the cult of youth, and it always has been. There's probably a great academic paper to be written on the topic surrounding concepts of mortality and denial and gender dynamics and business and health and well-being. All of it kind of mashed together in an at times you know, beautiful kind of chaos. Um, with that, though, of course, there are dangers and there are pitfalls and moral quandaries and paradoxes, all of which we want to unpack and probe and question on this podcast in the future. Today, though, um, we're going to begin to explore a recurring narrative in surfing the one of great expectations, whether it's exposure too soon or the surf industrial hype machine or a family name, all of these things can build up uh, a daunting set of expectations. These are expectations that are being cast upon the shoulders of younger and younger surfers. Exploring this topic and many others today is someone who comes from a family that is about as close to surfing royalty as it gets. Someone who's been sponsored and celebrated since she was eight years old. I can't remember what I was doing at eight years old, but it definitely wasn't that cool. She's someone who qualified for the Elite Championship Tour at 17. She was the 2019 ASP Rookie of the Year. She's been a stalwart of that elite level of surfing for about a decade and someone who has navigated all of this, really this Wild West kind of minefield with an unparalleled grace and class and kindness. Please enjoy the lineup's conversation with the inimitable Coco Ho. The good old clap, take one. That's right. How many of you knew what you wanted to be when you were seven years old? I did. I wanted to be a world champion. Hey, is there honesty involved in this podcast? Can we be honest? You can shut your fucking lips. And then I'll just say, put them up once. Let's go. He's like, you look too pretty on the wave. Get ugly. We can talk about DMT if you want. I'm <laughs> boxing. So I was thinking, your dad and your uncle are here, is the rumor. Yes. Right. And you come from really one of the most important surfing families in the history of the human species. Thank you. Dad's a multiple-time Triple Crown champion. Uncle Derek was the first Hawaiian world champion. Your brother is... Uh, special. Think, special in every way. <laughs> like, he is, uh, what he's built is the most entertaining <laughs> surfer in the world. He's great. And you, you've really been at the center of the surfing universe since I was like a kid. Like I remember <laughs> you being in magazines. Like, you know, w what's it kind of been like growing up in the spotlight for you? Um, it, it doesn't feel like a spotlight when you're in it. I think especially because we're, we're healthy, we're doing something we love. It's not like um, a rock star where you're like, oh, she's going down. <laughs> you know, you, you wake up every morning to go get barreled and surf and... So you're, we live a very healthy lifestyle, and you can see that through my dad and Uncle Derek. It's brought in youth to them. They're 62 and 57, 55, um, and you could never guess. No way. Yeah. So They're still charging, like, pipeline. Yeah. So it doesn't feel like um, this crazy pressure of being in. It just felt like a, our lifestyle, and it is, and it's everyone around us. You know, there's so many parents and dads that are on tour with their kids and still surf all day and surf longer than us. Are you a morning person or an evening person? Morning, for sure. Yeah, I was talking to Pat O'Connell about this, and he was like, he's like, man, I got, I got an email from the boss at like 9 o'clock at night, and it was like I had been asleep for an hour and a half. And I'm like, yeah. I get it. Like, he's like, mornings are so sacred as a surfer. Like, and I think that's kind of what you're talking about with the lifestyle thing. Yeah, it's it's so healthy to be a surfer because we're not about late nights. You know, it's about the early, the crack of dawn, the first wave. And we use our bodies to compete. Sometimes we're surfing heats at 7 a.m. Um, 
so yeah, it's it's a very healthy lifestyle, and that's why I think there's so much longevity in it for most of us. And um, I mean, even like I remember the first few times going to Brazil and Rio, and like the big thing is like, hey, like if you know the phrase like if i go to disneyland i want to see mickey mouse like if you go to rio they're like you got to go check the party out but the parties don't start to like two yeah i would go to bed and then get up and go because i'm like i can't can't do it i'm pretty much right there with you um yeah brazil and even europe and stuff i'm like wait what time do you start (laughs) um but it is it's such a funny thing yeah so it tell tell me a story about when you started surfing. Like, do you even remember when you started, or is it just kind of always been something like just kind of intrinsic in who you are as a person? Um, my way of starting was super unique because it's not the cliche. Dad's a pro surfer; he wanted me to surf. He was so surfers are selfish. <laughs> they want to <laughs> nah, surf. They want to get their waves. It is a selfish sport. I mean, you're out there like fighting for your wave. Essentially, that's what we do. Um, so dad was very doing his deal. He almost like felt like he wasn't even watching us when we were kids, which is really funny. So Mason and I were fully on our own program. We live a couple feet away from the beach. So after school, we'd go to the beach, huge group of us, um, inside sunset is called shores. And when sunset's like 10, 12 feet, it comes into shores and it's this little left white water. And, um, that's where we surf. I started on a bodyboard and I started standing up and spinning like everyone. And then Mason was like, whoa, try my board. Like he finally saw the potential. And um, I might have been like six or seven. And yeah, he handed me his board and I did it right away on his like five, four or something at the time. And then he came home and he told my dad, he's like, whoa, she she did it. And um, yeah, from there on, I asked for, for my birthday, can I have a board of my own? And we got it when we asked for it, but we still just wanted his time. And that was hard to get. So it was really me and Mason in the beginning. Maybe he just didn't want you guys to surf because he'd have to battle you guys for waves. <laughs> totally. And he'd have to give up his waves. That's right. Yeah. And he had to surf the smaller peak. Yeah, I get it. Now I get it when I'm trying to help my um, nieces or cousins, kids. Um, I'm like, oh, I just surfed all day. I really don't want to go back in the sun and push you. But I do. Do you kind of remember starting and then progressing and kind of understanding like, hey, maybe this is like a career path for me? Um, I do. It was kind of those moments of recognition from my brother when I do a sick turn. He'd be like, oh, that was sick. You look like Lisa or you look like Rochelle. When he started like we'd play around that we were the these superheroes that's when I was like I could be Lisa and I could be Rochelle like that's kind of Mason's recognition gave me that little fire and that um desire that I could do this for real and when you guys were younger did was Mason kind of someone that was in the community or even sort of outside the community recognized as like a good surfer or was it more just like he's my older brother or he's my brother you know like yeah it's really important to get that kind of validation he was the kingpin right of the gang um he was the boss i mean there was burger there was all his um his five best friends to this day are his five best friends from childhood and they're from school adam crawford's one his dad was a pipe master jeff crawford drew pringle cruiserat there's like five or six of them and they're still the five or six um joe michael who's aunt was uh no his mom was linda benson so it's just like a lot no becky benson sorry and she was a judge but i think they're related to linda benson so yeah it's just everyone was tied into surfing some way and they're still the best friends and did you run around with the boys did you have like your own little crew of people when you were growing up yeah i didn't have my own crew until about 12 and um, yeah, then I was kind of with John, John and Kiran, mm. and those were my gang and we'd surf a different spot than Mason and them. Yeah. Once I started hanging with them, I stopped really <laughs> surfing with my brother and them. Yeah. Right. What spot did you surf? We surfed more towards John's house, which is like Eukai, Sandbar and Pupukea. Yeah. And um, I think Mason and them were at like Rockies already. <laughs> when you kind of started getting attention, do you remember how old you were? Like, like magazine first magazine photo like do you remember that not my i remember like my first volcomad or like huge how, how long have you been with Volk? um i'm 28 and i think i was nine so 19 years but volcom does make it a huge point at the 20 year so i'm like i'm waiting for that email like it's been 20 years <laughs> but um i think it's 19 yeah right that's yeah. awesome insane and so you think probably like right around that age when you started is when they started promoting you yeah, probably like 10 or 11, I got to add. Is it, is it, do you think it's sort of like an outsized 
big deal in Hawaii, like where you grow up in the community when people start seeing that? Is there any tension with the other kids? Like, what was it like when you first saw yourself in the magazines? Um, yeah, true. It would be pretty weird for other peers. Um, it was magazines, so it was definitely a lot less gritty and like um, kind of hate it. You know, Instagram, people get very jealous very quickly because it's, I don't know, it's just so in your face. Like, this is me. This is my ad. Right. Magazines are more like you go and open the magazine and see it. Like, it's not like. It's a bit more passive in terms of. Like, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. It just that. felt less. There was less like hate or. Right. I don't know. It felt ne like it didn't feel weird when you got a magazine thing and same like if I saw Carissa it was sick because I opened the magazine and I stayed on that page and like right. admired it I don't know it feels it, different no that's interesting I mean I think part of it's like you know with print magazines the whole dynamic of someone taking your photo and then someone either working with a sponsor or the editor and that getting approval like there's a lot more merit associated with it yes so you could be like oh yeah like this isn't Coco like me ramp. posting it. Yeah, and yes. now and now it is. Mm -hmm. I mean, and it's inside and outside. Surfing is inside and outside of like sport and celebrity. Like, it's sort of a celebrity. Like, I'm my own. Yeah. Kind of, you know, brand culture, kind of in a lot of ways. Totally, and that's why sometimes social sucks. Is like you have to post your highlight. It's and exhausting. It, and it's exhausting. It's weird. Sometimes I'm like, oh, I'm so sick of when I see a photo. Like, can you post this of you? Like, I'm sick of seeing myself on my page, you know? But then essentially, that's why I follow Beyonce, is I want to see her video that she's singing to the camera. Like, it is personal, so I get it. But I do get sick of seeing myself. Yeah, I mean, I think it's like, I think it's a big deal. Certainly if you're associated with having kind of a brand, right? And that's the value to your sponsor, et cetera. Like, it's exhausting and it's like this forfeiting of the physical identity for a digital one. And it's not always real, like there's a curation aspect to it, but I mean, how much thought do you have to put into your social media every day? Like just yours, not the ones you're looking at. But yeah, like um, my whole theory and even with my manager, he knows exactly what deals I would or wouldn't sign solely off how I operate on social. Right. And like, I do not like posting like a pre-planned photo. I'm like, right. if I'm doing a... Um, a post for skull candy it's me i'll post it when i'm wearing the headphones before my heat or if i'm really wearing you know like i never want to there's just too much of this like fake facade deal and i'm like if i'm going to post it, it's because i'm doing it now well it sounds like similar to like why you follow beyonce you're like well i follow her because i know i'm actually kind of tapping the source and who she is as a person i'm getting it straight from the source as opposed to i think it's really obvious too like when you're like that manager posted that Totally. for that person or totally. like the post is referring to the poster in third person you're like okay yeah. clearly like you're yeah doing everyone this knows you're in Lemoore and you're like posting you on the beach in Hawaii it's like I'm very um conscious of being then and there right. and now and that was originally what Instagram started for and sure. then now we've all taken it way too far on the branding side but I try and keep it as real as I can I just use it to like stalk people around my community to find out where the good sandbars are totally and i get really frustrated when it's a dated photo where i'm like was that this morning and then it's yeah. flat and you're like, what, totally. what happened who who else do you would you say you kind of follow and are inspired by on social media in addition to beyonce yeah there's great things on social it's really like half cup um cup half full or half how you look at it and how you use instagram there's so many inspiring and encouraging pages depending on what you believe in you know like if, if it's a horoscope lady or if it's um anything you know so i my following is all very positive like it's people i adore for reasons you know it's friends family and um i find the good in like the quotes and stuff like that sure. like yeah i think it's awesome for like access to information like totally it's, it's learn what uh what is your astrological sign i'm a taurus a taurus are you super into it do you think like i definitely believe in it yep uh it's too real to not like it's <laughs> when i hear things about people uh, it all makes sense sure. but i do believe there are a lot like religion there's a lot of um doors like there could be your horoscope or it could be 
Chinese medicine right. or this or there's just a lot of options which yeah. is cool and I just lightly listen to all of them I'm not like verbatim one right but um on Bondi Guru, she's insane. She's she's a little bit of both. She's like d does your astrology, but it's by her feeling. Like she's a spiritual. What is it called? She like she's like intuitive. So she's sure, an okay. intuitive yep. astrologer. Okay. So it's her guessing what she's saying to you, and she's very honest about that. Yeah, and it's insane. Have you? Been, how long have you been into it? Following her. Well, not um, just following her, but like into. Like, I think she. She made me believe in astrology a little more because she so lightly put like, it's about where the moon and the stars are on this day, but I'm like intuitive. So I'm just doing what I think you're going through based on that. Right. So she's like kind of just way more on it. She's not like, this is it. This yeah. is how you're feeling. Yeah, that makes it's sense. super cool when you read her stuff because it's like, it's her speaking to you. It, I don't know. You gotta try. Oh, all right, I will try. Bondi Guru. At Bondi Guru. Yeah. Okay. Clearly, yeah. she's from Bondi. I'll, we 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 actually make it a segment on the podcast. We can just kind of look. <laughs> Doctor. Her, I guess. Yeah. The um. Wait, I want to meet her on that one. We'll bring you back. <laughs> <laughs> we just have it be you and her. Yeah. Um. Were Were you Were you ever religious or spiritual before you got into astrology? Like, have you always kind of? Yeah, I'm not like crazy astro. Like, I don't even know much about it. Sure. But, but I do believe in it. And I same with religion. I'm Christian. I was raised. My parents were both Catholic. They went to Catholic schools. And um, I, as a little kid, would follow around all the families that would go to church on Sunday. And it was weird. It was just like I wanted that, I guess. You know, most kids didn't want to go to church or whatever. Right. And my parents stopped because they went to Catholic schools. And they were like, yeah, no. And um, But I would like sought after families that I know would go and I'd sleep over on Saturday night knowing I'd get to go to church on Sunday. And um, I think there's something about personalities that do need something to believe in. Right. Um, and I'm one of them. <laughs> so I, I think probably everyone is, you know, I think some people look to religion or specific religion. I mean, a lot of people look to kind of surfing as a religion totally. or like anything else. Like, totally. I, you know, some people look to like academics or science, you know, like people just I think there's like an inherent craving for knowledge for a lot of people, you know. Totally. And and a core of something to believe in, a, a steady like faith and direction. So so my twins are five and a half and they went to a preschool and the preschools are often like at churches, so they kinda have like a basic understanding. And we were at a wedding a couple months ago, it was a Catholic wedding, and they'd never seen like the crucifix like yeah, at yeah. like Catholic churches. And my son was a groomsman and he was sitting next to me and it was a very long ceremony. It was really nice. Um, but at one point it was quiet and he kind of looked up and you know, Jesus is up there and he's got the, the yeah, he hasn't looked like he's been having a good time. Yeah. <laughs> and Kellen goes like, dad, who's that guy? And I go, I said, just be quiet. Like I said, that's Jesus. And he goes, that's Jesus? Like super <laughs> loud during the ceremony. <laughs> and he's going, what happened to him? And I'm like, man, it's a long story. We're off to talk about it later. It's a very long story. Yeah, it's good. So that, that was his experience with Catholicism so far. Uh, yeah. Tracking back a little bit, uh, as you're getting better, you're running with John John, who who knows what happened to that guy, yeah. and Kieran, and you know, you're getting sponsors and you start doing contests and you're getting more attention. Like walk us through that like development phase a little bit of like, I guess it would have been early to mid teens and you qualified really young. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. What was that like? So 14 to even 13 to 16. So cool. And this is the part of Hawaii that is so unique. I touched on it a little bit in my documentary, but we were raised, you go to school, you do your homework at school. So you can, when you get out, you go surf till the sun goes down right. and that was our life like we were very fortunate very lucky we knew what peak was good on what swell direction and we would literally all go post up we'd surf come in play hang out um some parent would bring us water and snacks eventually somewhere um and we'd surf till dark and that was it was so free you know we were just doing something we loved we were all pushing each other we were all trying each other's boards um and it was a very natural way to fall in love with the sport and yeah that's how it happened and then we're all just competing and obviously you get more serious every year you start competing and the boys qs is a lot harder <laughs> there's sure. a lot more men you know yeah. so yeah at 17 i just pulled it off like didn't even 
I actually didn't want to go to Margaret's the year I qualified. I was in California at like Disneyland with Sage, just living my best life. <laughs> and my dad was like, get home. You're coming with me and Mason tomorrow to yeah. WA. And I was like, ew, no. <laughs> and um, that now looking back to 2008, that was my turning point because I had done Villa Violin in January, got last like 500 points, went to Margaret's. Um, it was super small. We ran like on South Side and I was against Beck Woods in the quarters or something and it was so small and I'm so small and I just beat her and I got a huge result out of nowhere. Um, so I had a third or something. So I had a last and a third, went to US Open, just happy-go-lucky, made the final with Malia, the youngest final ever in the US Open. This, yeah. So I had a second, a third, a dead last, and then we went to Haliva and there I made the final so I got fourth and um Silvana double qualified I think or something on tour and um when I came in from that final they're like I think you qualified <laughs> like it was the funniest like anticlimactic uh, you qualified I mean it's maybe better like when you talk to a lot of people trying to qualify oh my and gosh. like my goal in the next three years is to qualify yeah. and every year like and you see a lot of people you see it on the qualifying side and the world title side like they get close and they miss it. And then the next year's worse, like result totally. wise, because they're like, I'm exhausted. You're so, yeah. So yeah, I think you did it the right way. Like I didn't try and I yeah, very lucky. fell into it. Yeah, you know, like, it's it's weird to say, cause you watch people on the QS for 11 years, you know, or yeah. something. And um, so yeah, I was very fortunate, but I, I have to give the credit to my dad for pulling me by the ear to go to the WA. And um, I think it was just cause like, I was off in California alone and they were all gonna leave. So if I went home, I was home alone. And he's like, no, you're coming with us. And that little like result, that was it. That was the turning point. So it was a parenting panic. A parenting like, panic, yeah. and it made me qualify. <laughs> and from that day forward, my dad was on tour. <laughs> did you, yeah. Did you Did you tell your dad that you, because you qualified, you get to make up your Disneyland trip? <laughs> totally. Go back. Um, yeah, and then once I qualified, my whole life changed. You know, I was like, um, I was still in school. I had to finish. I was already homeschooling, which right. was cool, but um, I missed, like, our homeschool is so cool. They tried to give us the best opportunities to have like prom or graduation and it was once again it was like Kiran, John John, um, my best friend Kalani, Nozaki, like a lot of us. I miss the like fake prom thing. <laughs> Hold, but you have to stop. I need to understand what homeschool fake prom is. Well our so our homeschool was so oh all the Monizes did it. Sure. It was the the catch to the school why it was so cool is they gave you brand new Apple MacBooks so you could eye chat your teachers. Okay. And it was this new system all online. We are all in this school, every Moniz, all of us on the North Shore. And they, the teachers were so cool. I think they just loved us so much that they're like, let's make them like a, a prom or a surf team. They made us a surf team. We won nationals. Like, how many kids are we talking about? We're talking about the Monizes and the North Shore. So kids. So yeah, but like how many? Like 30, oh. 50, 10? Between us, there was only like 16, and then maybe there was like 20 more. It was so new. Yeah, yeah. And like, yeah, I don't know how this happened, but it was very cool. So they did have a prom. Um, yeah, they had like a little get together, okay, like. Got it. Close enough. Makeshift. Did and, you um, get asked? I didn't get to do that because I was on tour. It was our, it was Snapper, I think. Um, That's fun too. Yeah. No, that was very fun. Um, but but yeah, I do, I do want to know because I'm. Did you get asked to go to? Prom, and you're like, sorry, I can't. Uh, no, because they all knew my schedule. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty funny. It is. Because you, came, because you came from such a comfortable family situation on the North Shore, did you ever have any challenges growing up with friends or the neighborhood or the community? Or was it, do you feel like you benefited from kind of having a bit of a gilded path because your, your father and your brother and your uncle and your whole family really were just kind of already very important figures in the surf world? Um, I was super lucky on my upbringing because I did have that security feeling of a lot of family. My dad has four siblings. Everyone lives on the North Shore. I have a ton of cousins, ton of aunts, ton of uncles. Um, if anything, my upbringing taught me a lot about respect and kind of that pecking list and who to respect and how to respect everyone, you know, even if you don't know them or you call every person that line up uncle or auntie and and then automatically they're going to protect you. You know, that was kind of how I was raised. It was like I felt safe everywhere. 
I went because I was so raised well and, and respectful to them that I did feel safe. And then I had a big brother who was, he was quiet, you know, he wasn't the loud, like annoying kid. He was very respected, especially in his peer group. He was like the boss. So yeah, I was, I was very lucky with the whole situation. I, I think the community aspect of like uncle, everyone's your uncle and auntie is like really so beautiful. Like I've actually adopted it. Like, cause even when I started on tour, you know, your dad's like, call me Uncle Mike. Yeah. I'm like, you're fucking Mike Ho, man. Yeah, like, yeah. That's, yeah, sure. Whatever totally. you want. Like, and it's awesome. And even now with my kids, like, and whoever, like, or I'll be their uncle or they've got an uncle. You know, everyone, yeah. everyone's that. And it's like, it's this rad community familial thing where everyone is already built into caring about someone else. Right? Totally. And that's what makes the environment so safe. Right. Um, you can feel so comfortable. You can be at the beach all day with, Auntie Lisa and you're totally fine and and everyone gets to stay at the beach till dark because one aunt is there you know that's right and that's what made this like community and then you have Auntie Lisa was actually Billy's mom right and uh, Billy Kemper and she was the beach mama like we had certain people's parents were like the the ones you knew to gravitate towards and that's what makes like now Billy is like a brother to me still. We're sure. 28 and 29 and he has a family and stuff. And it's just like you. Now you're on. Now we're. Kids. Yeah. Yeah. And that's how it'll always be. It's so it's awesome. really cool. Rookie year. What were the expectations going into it for you? Like, was it? I mean, I guess my my question would be like, did you think I, I am like a game changing kind of talent for women surfing? I, my goal is a world title. Was that your headspace when you started or? Um, I wish. <laughs> um, I'm, that might be my downfall is how carefree and happy I am about where I am now. So I never once took my career like psycho serious in the right. beginning. And um, success came because of that. You know, like I finished fourth in the world my rookie year. Um, big probably, win in Portugal. Big win in Portugal. Probably just because I was so carefree and la di da di da. And that's how my first five years went, I feel like. And now looking back, it's it's hard now. You know, everyone's up the game and luckily I'm still there too, like upping my game. But I never changed my mental approach to surfing. And I think that's what makes me still love it and right. still want to be here. Um, but there are moments where I'm like, I underachieved because of it. And um, so it's a catch-22, but I, I think I am a lot happier than maybe someone who sacrificed more well and hard to say i don't know everyone's different too right like some people it sounds like you know you identify you identified early on like this is what works for me like some yes. people are like i need to be up at 3 a.m training totally. and you know in bed by seven and yeah yeah i mean it is it's not a one-size-fits-all like success thing yeah you know no. um have you ever worked with any sort of like I'm sure you've worked with trainers, but like any sort of like um, like mental coach, mental you know. Coach. There was a moment, um, probably four years ago, and I did, and I don't know what originally put like put me in the place to even seek help. Um, oh, you know what it was is all of a sudden I would lose all confidence when I put the jersey on. Like I would put the jersey on and be like, "Oh, you could lose right now. Like you could lose this easy heat before you even paddle. Before out. I even touch yeah. the water, and then." That kind of like took over one year, the whole year. And my manager was like, what's up? You're losing heats like you shouldn't be. And uh, you don't look kind of there. And I was like, it took him saying it for me to like kind of embrace and be like, oh, yeah, you're right. And then I started recognizing it and um, identifying it. And I just spoke to someone. I forget how we even squashed it, but I don't see them anymore. And I requalified and I started winning a lot of QS's, unfortunately, not tour events. But um, yeah, and then that kind of brought my confidence and my love for competing back. Um, even though they're QS's, it's a lot of the same competitors. And um, yeah, I kind of went on a little QS spree for a few years and that's satisfied my competitiveness. And Sure. Did, 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 you, did you or do you remember identifying where the weird dip in confidence came from at the time? Were you like, did they kind of, did you kind of be like, I guess this is where this has come from, which is now I understand where and now we can kind of work out how to deal with it. It was obviously a moment like somewhere subconsciously. I don't mm. remember too well. I do remember losing to a wild card in, at Snapper. Right. Like I would have been the highest seed in round two to get the wild card. So whatever year that was, maybe like 
six, seven years ago. And I just remember getting that feeling of, oh, I could, that could happen again. Like, you can lose to this, you know? And uh, it got me for a while. And because I wasn't maybe focused on the task at hand, I didn't take care of it soon enough. I mean, just as someone who's gotten to work with you for a long time and been on tour for 14 years and um, let's say an amateur analyst of pro surfing, I'm not a judge, although I judge one heat, I think I have a perfect record. The, like, I think your strength from the start, even through now for sure, has been that you've had the perfect technical approach and all the speed and all the strength and all the talent, right? Um, so, but a lot of times it's all the other things that go into it. Like it's physicality, it's head game, it's psychology. And, and was there ever anything for you in terms of like the dynasty that you come from with your family and expectation and then coming in and being like, wow, like the level here is really radical. Like Carissa's radical, Steph's radical. Did you ever have to kind of wrestle with anything in terms of like a... Pressure. Pressure, yeah, for sure. Um, definitely not. Mm. Luckily, you know, yeah. and that was everyone's like first assumption was like, oh, she probably has a lot of pressure. But if you know my family and you do know my of family course, yeah. well, um, my brother is very carefree and charismatic and happy. My dad's actually the chillest cucumber <laughs> there is. Um, and Uncle Derek, who is the only world champ in our family, is the grittiest. And he's so grindy and gritty and he just is like, Coco, come on. Like he is my inspiration because I'm like, I can, I have a hard time tapping into that, that grit and that competitiveness that Carissa and Steph do tap into. Right. Um, and even Sally, especially, you know, like there's a few that are just like, they achieve so much because of that, that fight. And, um, uncle Derek has that the most. And, uh, Sometimes I'm like, okay, hey, I got to be like Uncle Derek right here. And Mason's a great reminder. He'll send me the funniest texts and he's like, get feisty. You know, like he, <laughs> they, they encourage because they know where I'm weak. And, sure. um, and it's actually very supportive and cool. Um, sometimes it works the other way though. Like sometimes because you are really carefree and so talented, the person that is really grindy and hardworking gets intimidated because they're like, man, I'm working so hard. And this seems so easy for this person, Yes, you know? Yeah, so it's a catch-22 for sure. Yeah. But um, I do look up to Uncle Derek. I'm like, I got to get there. Do you consider yourself famous? Oof. Um, not in my hometown because everyone's just like, they know we all live there. Right. They're like, <laughs> John John lives down the street. She lives right here. Yep. Like, it's, if anything, it's really fun and cool for the kids to come surf and ask funny questions in the water. I talked to every Grom in the lineup because it's exactly how I was. You know, I'd go up and paddle and talk to Kalani Rob and Megan Abubo and just tell them about school and stuff that now when kids talk to me about funny stuff, I'm like, yes, you got it. You're normal. <laughs> I mean, I think it's like, uh, it's one of those things that's like hugely grounding because surfing's so accessible and we use it all the time where yeah. people are like, hey, like before an event, um, you know, I can paddle out and sit next to Coco totally. and talk to her. Yeah. You know, I can't walk onto a basketball court and yeah. shoot free throws with Kyrie before his game. Totally. Um, and I just think it's this interesting, like catch 22, as you said, where it's like, it's so important to a lot of people and it's this global sport, but it's at the same time. So like, I guess like calibrating from a, like, I'm a human being kind of yeah. standpoint, you know, I love sharing the lineup with fans of surfing and getting to, they'll like, I love when they're comfortable enough to be like, Oh, Coco, sick heat and Margaret's and like chat. I'm like, Oh yeah, thanks. And then it, you just see their eyes light up and like, we are right here. We are normal. We're all just in the ocean because we love surfing so it is super sick i love sharing those experiences but i would say that probably having your profile and your uh, career has probably afforded you like cool opportunities like outside of surfing to like meet different creative people and different people from other sports like what are some of the cooler things that you think you've gotten to do because of your career um no yeah that's very true um i think i mean if i wasn't a surfer or known i definitely wouldn't have met my boyfriend and he's an Olympic snowboarder and the best thing that came into my life, you know. So, yeah, I got to thank surfing and a little bit of that fame to be able. I met him in Aspen at X Games and I was there because of a, a sponsor, a brand brought my father and I there. So, How did you guys connect? Did you um, he actually knew me already. Like we had Instagram. Because you were famous. 
yeah, he's like, I follow you. I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, if I didn't have the foundation I had, I was like, yeah, I guess I would have never met you, this boy from Canada. (laughs) (laughs) And how does that work? Like, um, I would imagine you've snowboarded a little bit more than you would have otherwise. Totally. And he's probably surfed a little bit more. A lot more than he would have done otherwise. Um, You probably use a different SPF sunscreen. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. He like... (laughs) Actually, you'd think the opposite, though. You would think he would use more sunscreen because he's lighter. Sure. He's backwards. Because he doesn't get to surf all day every day, he thinks he doesn't need to use sunscreen. And he thinks I put on too much sunscreen. Yeah. It, Do perha- you get it? Like, it, Well, perhaps perhaps opposite. his paleness is so powerful that it, re- <laughs> it repels the sun's rays. <laughs> no, I'm like, you're so backwards. I was <laughs> like, you. Yeah, he thinks I shouldn't put sunscreen on. I'm like, even I've been in the sun since I was seven years old every day of my life staring at the horizon like this. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> is he a good surfer? He is. He's actually a great paddler, which is really hard to believe because anyone who learns to surf, that is the hardest part. Everyone can stand up and kind of figure it out, right? But paddling and positioning and popping up fast is like the Achilles heel. He's the best at that. Does he stand out at VLAN when he's out there? Those people. Oh, he, st- he stood out is, recently. Is he like whole family adjacent? So people are like, Go ahead, Mark. Totally. <laughs> Everyone wants to see him surf because they. a lot of people are huge fans, you know, sure, yeah. and watching X Games and stuff. So they're like, love to give him a wave. <laughs> so it's actually pretty funny. I'm like, whoa, you have this special little power over everyone. Are you a good snowboarder? Yeah, I'm good. I think I'm pretty safe. Um, As be- you should be. Yeah. <laughs> I hit a jump a long time ago. I was like, dad, take notes. And uh, <laughs> I hit this, huge, like, a, it was only four foot, but it's like a four foot jump. And I landed, I lost all my control and was rolling down the windows and landed on my tailbone and that day on I like kind of avoided jumps now I do like little bunny hops if I want to get air the tailbone is no joke yeah I chipped my sacrum in a hot tub accident that we're not gonna talk about but yeah I learned a lot about myself through it I mean it must be really rad to have been partnered with Volcom for such a long time because they they obviously are like very core in terms of surf and skate and snow and you can probably benefit from just having like those avenues to pursue yeah i'm very lucky with volcom they are true to this <laughs> no that is their Good saying. Job. <laughs> that is their saying and it's so cool because so many people have like their little line just and do it, yeah do and it's like they are so true if you look at their team a lot of the team is hitting 20 years like mm-hmm. it's insane and um, yeah, they've backed me since I was so young and they do have the avenues of skate. I made good friends with Leticia Buffoni because she was Volcom at one point. Um, and then I get to go snowboard and I'm in the best gear because they're so good at their little avenues. And yeah, this year, uh, I guess it'd be spring 2020. I'm coming out with my first collection with them for the whole year, like spring, summer, fall. And um They've been so, they're just like, go crazy, do anything. Most people are like, oh yeah, you get like a board chore, a bikini, this. I think I have like 14 pieces in every season and all my creative, all my style, like they're so cool. Like I wish I could elaborate more how just supportive to the team and loyal um, they are. That's so cool. I mean, that was always, I remember, I mean, again, being industry involved for as long as I have, that was always the reputation that Wooly kind of had, right? Where you'd get a lot of talented interesting people regardless of their discipline and they'd maybe have a few offers to like go to another company but they're like well i'm gonna go to volcom it might not be as much money they're gonna let me be myself and i'm family like i'm gonna be there for a long time and that's yeah that's what they're known for and it's what they do so yeah have you ever been pursued by other companies looking i i have i feel like it's stopped because they know how loyal i am back um it's pretty funny but i'm couldn't be more happy to be represented by one brand my whole career like that's what you dream of for sure and it becomes really interesting right because you become part of the fabric that builds that brand totally like like aki and billabong yeah you know and it's like it becomes this thing where it's like it wouldn't do another brand really that much good to go there but it also wouldn't do that brand any good to get rid of that person because they're part of the the foundation. Yep, and that that's how it is. Like you look back, they do um, reviews. Like, oh, remember this board short from two thousand? And like, I'm there. I'm still like in the catalog. And then it's like, and we did this amazing top in two thousand seven. And then it's like, I'm still there. So it, it is just this like loyalty. It's really 
Cool. So you're coming out with your first collection. You've never done anything like that before. I've done like a board short, okay. a bikini, um, but this is just gung ho, like huge. Because like, f so 14 SKUs each yeah. season. So we're looking at so my mouth, 52 items. A lot of stuff. Yeah. I probably got that wrong. And uh, I, my number is probably off for too. My, <laughs> my dad out there is like, dude, get your multiplication table right. Um, that's a lot. It is, and it's fun because. I'm at this point in life where I like to dress up. I like to look cute. Um, and so it's been super fun. I've done kind of a little bit of everything. Tomboy, sporty, cute, crop, long, oversized. Like I literally got to hit every check I wanted to do. So it's awesome. That's awesome. Is it, I mean, I'm not asking like, what are your future plans? But is that like an area you think you'd want to continue doing? Um, it was hard. Yeah. Designing was hard. It's, it's hard to, um, yeah, stay in the lines, stay on brand but yeah. you know like also your um who you're designing it for and luckily it is like all my age like and everyone can wear it nowadays which is great um like an older mom compared to like a 17 year old girl um but there was just so many little things i was like dear this is hard <laughs> um but i had a lot of fun because it was just it's a full representation of me and they did not stop me anywhere if, an, if anything was a little weird or um, out there, they'd be like, I don't think that do well, but you can do it. <laughs> and then I'm like, that was a weird one because do I listen to you or do I listen to me? <laughs> and, That's uh, right. Yeah, most of the time I was like, okay, yeah, clip that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is one of those things where people talk about, they're like, I'm going to start my own brand. And then they're like, oh my God, it is so much work because as like the seasons keep coming and the seasons yeah, keep coming. It didn't it, stop. It doesn't stop. I felt like I finished spring finished it i was like woohoo cool and i started designing summer and then they're like shoot spring and then i'm done designing <laughs> summer and then they're like fall and i'm shoot spring and then i'm like oh my gosh like what one's this from <laughs> like, i'm just forgetting it was so crazy having had the career you've had already and you're so young um it's involved a lot of international travel and it is for everyone that works on tour whether they're a surfer or a staff member or whatever how have you found balancing kind of a home life um, that's obviously very important to you, um, traveling and being present where you are, and then uh, personal life. Like, like how, how have you evolved in the way you've approached that as you've grown older? Yeah, it, it has been a toss-up. When you're little, though, or 17, 18, you're all about that travel life. You just want to go see your friends in France and Brazil and this and that, and all those friends from home were traveling pretty much with me because they were doing the QS. So I didn't like miss that home, like, oh, I miss my best friend. Luckily, I didn't, ha you know, those were my best friends on tour. And then, yeah, so the teens were so fun. I had, I was on tour with Laura, I was on tour with Steph. Like it never felt, I never felt sad for my friends. I did um, notice how little time I spent with my mom and my dog once I started really getting on tour and my tutu, my grandma. So that was probably the hardest for me was, those three um dad came on tour quite a bit mason i'd bump into him every other country like no worries um and then you get to this point where you fall in love and you have a boyfriend and um but trying to stay on tour and trying to focus on my career and be present in that country but then i missed this new feeling that i had you know so it was, it was a huge weird tear in me for a long time um like a tossed up feeling and then yeah, I kind of dealt with it in the ways you'd expect, a little breakup, heartbreak. Um, and then, yeah, now at 28, I found that, like, perfect balance of love, family, friends, friends on tour still. And then, um, yeah, getting to kind of blend them all and enjoy. My injury gave me the most time at home I've ever gotten. And um, I realized during that injury, I was like, it feels so good to not hop on the plane right now, but... By the end of it, I was so itchy to travel. Itch, yeah, <laughs> I mean it. It it's. I mean, it might not be something you experienced, but like I remember being younger and just being like, I'm bored. Yes. And and just being like, I wish I had something to do. Yes. And now, like, time is the most valuable currency ever. Like, I, like I'm constantly calculating. Like, all right, I have a few things I have to do. Like which is going to get me the most time with the most valuable people or, totally. or myself, yeah. you know, sometimes. And yeah. it's, I think it really does become like time management where it's like, I don't want to be 
here podcasting with you and thinking about another 10 things totally. because it just doesn't have any impact or yeah. sleeping and stressing and thinking yeah. about something else, you know, or being with someone you love or it, it is a huge challenge, I think. But I just think it's, as your life gets more full, you kind of just have to manage that time. Totally. And I don't have kids yet, so <laughs> yet. I don't know how that works for the guys and you and most people. I'm not an expert. On I tour. <laughs> yeah, that's like a, is that something in the future you want to have family? Definitely. But it's definitely very clear that I would want that off tour. Yeah. At one point, like seeing Bethany pull it off, it looked very cool, but it looked very trying. And I think that's the beauty of chapters in life is like, this is my chapter of pro surfing and it's long and it's been great and it's cool. And that'll make me look forward to the next chapter, you know, family and settling down. Obviously, when you're done, you're not going to stop traveling. Yeah. I, I always like thought that. And Mark was like, we're not just going to stop traveling <laughs> when we're done. Like, that's not how it works. So, yeah. And we'll have a nice balance of California, Hawaii, Canada. Like you can always, you don't need to be in one place at all times. Yeah, for sure. Bethany actually gave me tips for traveling with kids. Cause oh, I was like, Hey, how do you do the plane thing with the baby? She's like, well, she goes, what we did was we packed like Ziploc baggies with like candy and earbuds and handed them out ahead of the flight. It's like, we have a baby, here you go. And I'm like, you're such a good person. She's a saint. She's a saint. Yeah. Total I would saint. have never thought of that. No, and she told me and I still haven't done it. <laughs> yeah, it's so but, nice. I was like, I don't know if I'll ever do that. It's so nice. <laughs> yeah. So, so you see, as far as your professional surfing career goes, like an end point. Yeah, essentially, point. yeah. yeah. Um, Especially being the female, I mean, you do have to like choose. It's a long nine months, couple years. It, of, it's of course. a big chunk of time. So it's not like a, I don't know, like a little break in the tour or something. It's a big commitment. It's a life changing experience. So I'm very aware of that. And um, I have no crazy desire for that right now. Um, but in time for sure, I, I love the dynamic of family. I love my family. I love um what family brings you know siblings and um, cousins like it's important it's an important part of who you are and um yeah i couldn't not try and recreate for that for sure i uh, one of my favorite um authors is kurt vonnegut jr and he ended up in a family situation where he adopted like a bunch of his family's kids who had, who'd suffered tragedy and, yeah. and he had a point and actually tied to religion. And he's like, well, he's like, I think the best thing about religion is it provides like an extended family. And it's like, you know, life is really hard. Um, so the more people you have that you can rely on, the the stronger you're going to be. You know, no one can do it alone. So. Yeah. You look at the, you even look at the most successful people on tour. They have the biggest family. They're all here supporting. And it's just, I don't know. It It is hard to say because you know there are people who just had terrible family experience sure. or shocking, you know, and they're like, I will never bring a family into this life because of the experience they had. But if you can adopt or even have kids sleep over and learn and see your family and maybe change their views, then you saved the life or you. I mean, even back to what you're saying about the Hawaiian community, like it doesn't have to be like a legal family. Totally. Like it's, you know, it's yeah. like, it's just sort of the idea of it. Do you have like competitive goals left? Do you, do you, is that how you start your yeah. year or anything? Like what are they and, and how do you kind of decide on what those are? Yeah, definitely this year my goals have changed because I was injured and I missed an event and I had a lot of um, the format changed a little bit and I got stuck in that rut of, a lot of ninth places on the women's tour, which is bad. Like you want quarters and above. Um, so not bummed on my performances, bummed on just the little things that could have changed those ninths to fifths. Um, but now I had to like erase the whole beginning of the year and just be like, it's now it's, I have four events left. I need four quarters or better. And that's how I'm looking at the year. I'm looking at the year as four and and that's it. Like, I'm not looking back. I'm not remembering so-and-so has a third and I only have a fifth. Like, I'm these four just focus on myself. Obviously, I want to be on tour next year. Of course. I still love competing. I still have a lot of gas in the tank, um, so to speak. So I'm just thinking of these four and it's and it's onward and forward and whatever happens, happens. I'll for sure do the QS next year and um, 
yeah, I'm two. It's weird. 28, you'd think, uh, whatever. But I feel my strongest. I'm my smartest. Um, I'm more in love with my boards and changing fins and like the fun little things. So too happy to stop. Again, amateur surfing expert, like demonstrably surfing the best you've ever surfed. Right. And that's I, a weird yeah. thing about competition for a lot of people where it's like sometimes you just have years where it's like, oh, man. Yeah. And not that that doesn't get to you, but you don't seem like the kind of person that judges their surfing strictly based on contest results because you are surfing so well. Yeah, and that's that's probably why I'm not down. If you're in my situation, I think at this point in the year, look at the results and the numbers, you'd be like pretty negative. But I'm so happy. I'm happy with my, I'm stronger than ever because of the injury. I'm more in tune with my boards and stuff because of the injury and just wanting some fresh change, you know, 11 years later on tour. Um, I've had a lot of fun with changing up my equipment this year and now i just gotta like it's a four event tour for me and enjoy it. i think that goes back to the talent thing too like for some people like it's very obvious like i i have to fight and claw my way to get through heats and stay on tour because they're yeah. just more talented people but that's yeah. never been your thing and it I still isn't you know fight and claw my head <laughs> to, <laughs> to think a little more gritty and um get a little more into it mason always says that he's like get ugly <laughs> <laughs> I, like, I mean, you look too pretty on like, the wave. Get ugly. I'm like, all right. And I can it, get there. It, as like, if he's an expert on getting ugly. I know, I know. He's sitting there just pulling in a driver. I could get ugly <laughs> real fast. Uh, well, that's what I got. I We've got the, oh, look at that. I timed that pretty good. We want to do the lightning round. I don't know where I put my phone though. Okay. So answer as fast as you can. Oh, okay. 10 questions. I like one board set up for the rest of your life. Single fin, twin fin, thruster, quad, bonzer, or finless. Sorry, Dad, thruster. <laughs> Millennial. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Burrito or pizza? Burrito. Last book you read? Crickets. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I like can't remember. That's fair. Best surf film ever? Um, Anyone Andy was in. I can't remember the names, but I loved all. We always used to watch Andy. One wave you never have to go back to. Oof. I know there's like a place in my heart that I was like, <laughs> ew, I will not come back. But I. You, you've repressed it. Yeah. It's no longer part of your existence. I used to think that about Pantene and then I won twice. Now I love the place. <laughs> Only get to surf one wave for the rest of your life. VLAN. Best person to share a lineup with. My dad. I might lose a friend. No. <laughs> a lot of the people on tour. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. <laughs> Finish this sentence. I will next achieve a state of happiness by... Winning this comp. Damn right. <laughs> Coco Ho, thank you very much. Thank you, Dave. So that's it. That's Coco Ho. Um, she was amazing. She's such a special person. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Again, if you haven't listened to last week's with Peter Townend, do yourself a favor and check that out. We're going to be dropping these every Friday, so please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and hope you get some waves. See you next week.